0: an internal combustion engine, even a really good one, and they're not all very good, you're at like 30-35%. So when you're filling your tank full of fuel, two-thirds more than two-thirds of it, it, goes away. is wasted through friction and heat. That's not great, is it? And hydrogen is somewhere in the middle. So hydrogen, uh, uh, the overall efficiency of the car is not as good as battery electric cars. It's a lot more complex.
1: On today's show, we are diving into the world of Formula E and exploring the relationship between Genpact and Envision Racing. Is Formula E the future of motorsports and are electric vehicles really the answer as we try and find vehicles that help combat the climate crisis? That's all to find out in today's show, your edition of Tech Talks, the weekly technology podcast with myself, David Savage, powered by Nash Squared. Before we dive into the podcast, you'll notice myself and Amber talking about the race weekend in New York as coming up this weekend. Well, actually, this podcast was recorded on Friday. So the race weekend was actually the weekend just gone on the 17th, 16th and 17th of July and Envision One. Uh, congratulations to Nick Cassidy, who I had the pleasure of speaking to for a good 20 minutes whilst I was up at their garage in Silverstone. And congratulations to the to the Envision and Gempact team, uh, just showing that what you're about to find out about with regards to uh, data analytics and the insights that data give them really do work. Joining me on today's show, we've got Amber. How are you?
2: I'm good, thanks, Dave. How are you?
1: Yeah, good. Before we hit record, explaining you're off to Santorini.
2: I am, yeah. I was just um, saying, it's a very last-minute trip, but um, but yeah, it should be good. Like I said, I've heard nothing but good things, so I'm quite excited.
1: Very glamorous.
2: I know it's kind of the opposite of me, to be honest, Dave. I'm not very glamorous. Oh so, um... no, don't say that. That's,
1: that is not what that makes me feel awful. That's not oh, what I was going no, for. I
2: know where this is going. No, 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 no. no. Um, we got what no, the White
1: House is. You've got you've got black sand.
2: Yep. It's, it's a volcanic um,
1: island. Obviously, the black sand and wine
2: perfect i mean it's quite it's yeah it's very glam it's like a very instagrammable yeah. type place isn't it oh yeah and that's just not me but it, like i said it looks isn't really, it i think really i think really this nice. weekend we'll see <laughs> <laughs> but um yeah no it's it's yeah it looks very pretty as well so i'm quite excited
1: very nice very nice um is it the most glamorous place you've been this year
2: um, yeah i'd say it probably yeah. is actually Yeah, this year, I reckon it it definitely is. It's going to be up there. I mean, I've not been yet, so it might be very different when I get there, but I imagine it'd probably be very nice.
1: No, no, I think it's going to be glam. What else is glam, of course, is is, is international motorsports.
2: It is. Oh, That's pretty glam. better at these, days. Very very good.
1: (laughs) Seven years of running the podcast, and we can just about (laughs) do a smooth transition. Um, Now, this weekend, the Formula E World Championship is in New York City. Oh, Lovely. Racing the uh, the streets of the Big Apple, which is pretty glamorous.
2: That's very glamorous, yeah. Have you ever been? No. Oh, it in is, my I'm... head,
1: it's quite glamorous.
2: Yeah, no, it is. It, it's kind of weird. It isn't. It isn't. I think there's lots of glamorous things about it, but then also it's like busy, crazy city. So there's also it's, it's of...
1: another it's another London on another continent.
2: Yeah, exactly that. Yeah. So there's a lot of not so glamorous things, but mm. yeah, it's yeah. has it has their own bits that are glamorous, obviously.
1: I wonder the thing is, it, if you live in or around New York, would you consider London glamorous? Because I wouldn't consider London glamorous, but then I've been spoiled because I've lived in or around it for 15 years.
2: I think they think, because they, they always think that we are quite posh, don't they? Oh, so poor them.
1: Poor deluded I, I know, souls. Well,
2: little do they know. Um, <laughs> but I reckon, I reckon, yeah, I reckon they probably do think it's quite glamorous. And then they come here and then they're like, oh, maybe not as glamorous as far well as expected. <laughs>
1: we shouldn't be working for the tourist uh, for the British tourist board um but yeah so we're talking about Formula E because today's episode is an interview with the Envision Racing MD and CTO Sylvain and Genpact's Sanjay uh so we'll hand over to that interview you'll find out why this is part of Tech Talks by listening and we'll be back with some comments on it afterwards so I'm chatting to Sylvain and Sanjay Sylvain from Envision Racing Sanjay from Genpact how are you both Very good. Thanks for having us. Well, no, thank you for inviting me up to Silverstone to to see your facility here. Before we dive into anything else, do you want to introduce yourself so people know who we're talking to? Sanjay.
3: So I'm Sanjay Srivastav. I'm Chief Digital Strategist for Genpact. And Genpact, of course, is a global professional services firm. We drive digital transformation for large corporations across the world. And we're super excited, actually, on a separate note, to be teaming up with Envision Racing and the work we do there. And and we'd, we'd like to talk to you about that a little bit.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And Envision Racing, do you want to, someone to give us a quick overview of Envision Racing? Sure. So my name is Sylvain
0: Philippe. I am the Managing Director and CTO of Envision Racing uh, competing in the FIA Formula E Championship. So for those who don't know what Formula E is, um, <coughs> it's basically um, uh, the, the pinnacle of electric racing. So it's a championship we started eight years ago um, with obviously fully electric cars. And the main idea and concept behind it. Is to do two things really. Uh, first is to accelerate the development of electric cars, electric powertrains specifically, um, to try to create a link as direct as possible to road cars. Um, and then the second um, aspect is um, uh, a media and marketing platform to basically try to educate, it's not the right word, but inform people about electric cars and what the future can look like and why. You know, all of us driving electric cars is actually a great thing and why it will be fun. Uh, we can make fast cars for people who like fast cars. We can make very affordable cars for 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 other people. And then we talk about the
1: bigger picture around renewable energy and, and what that future looks like. I must admit to never having watched a Formula E race. I've also not actually seen a huge amount of F1, I'll be perfectly honest. But for anyone who's kind of curious about Formula E, as you said, it's a relatively new sport, but how, how many how many rounds are there in the championship, how many fans have you got now globally?
0: Yeah, so we compare lot to Formula 1, but that's our fault, we call this Formula E, so I guess it's to be expected, but uh, um, yes, we are in our eighth season, so we started racing in 2014, it seems like an eternity ago, but as a sport we're still very young, um, and uh, yeah, we have on average uh, I don't know, 14 to 16 races, I think 18 next year, um, so it's getting really, really significant as a championship, of traveling around the world like, like most championships um, or in all across regions and the idea is to take the show to take the circus to all the all mega cities around the world to, to show what we're doing and get people excited about um, about electric cars
1: So we've only got a, a, a limited period of time because you both got busy diaries but data and AI helps you as in Envision Racing win races We'll split this into two. First of all, how does it help you win races? And then, Sanjay, I'll come to you and ask how that then translates to the enterprise environment and your clients beyond sure. the racetrack. But first of all, how, how does it help you win races?
0: Yeah, that's good. Well, let me break it down, right? So, like, so as a team, the, for the, low, the short-term goals to win races and championships, right? So, to do that, you have to be good at a few pillars. First one, you need a good car, because <laughs> of that thing, right? So, working on the powertrain. So, we have partnership with manufacturers to do that. Then you need Drivers, that's also my job to make sure we have the best drivers possible. Um, but then you have everything else you have the operations of the team, the optimization of the team, the car performance, and so on. And that's where really data comes into play. Pretty much everything we do is data. Like, it's <coughs> if you sit in any meetings in my team, any day of the week, it's always about data because that's how we optimize and, and go faster. It's not really new in motorsports, it's kind of always been the case, at least at top level motorsports. But because we race electric cars, we took that to the next level because really that's how you make an electric car go faster. Of course, I have a team of mechanical engineers that can make the car fundamentally go faster through vehicle dynamics and mechanical changes and so on. But really, once you've done that, everything else is data and software. Uh, That's just how electric cars work. So you can take the exact same car, and every race, we take that exact same hardware and we make it faster through software and data. That's how you optimize the energy, going from the battery to the motor and, and so on. So it's really critical, and it's critical then you can break it down further into several aspects. Data is absolutely the tool number one for car performance. Uh, you know, we have uh, free practice sessions, qualifying and race, usually on the same day. So you gather that kind of real-world data, you compare to what we do here in Silverstone in the simulator, and then you try to make this correlate and that improves your models and therefore you go faster.
1: And you were saying you have a lot less time than Formula One, kind of people will be familiar with the whole weekend, you've only got yes. very
0: limited periods of time. Yes, I- indeed, we like to make our life difficult. So, so I have far fewer people at the track than, than Formula One, and what Formula 1 do typically over three days, we do it over one day. So we have sometimes just an hour in between sessions. Yeah. So that's a very, very short amount of time to look at all the data we have. So so that's, that's the car aspect. And then that's not the end. Once you've done all that really well, you still have all the strategy element to it. You know, we are not... Formula 1 race is not a time trial. You're not on your own. You're competing with 21 other cars. So it's absolutely critical to understand what they're doing and therefore the strategy comes into play. So again, data... And that's where Genpack plays a huge role uh, to help us is how do you structure, how do you gather the data in a better way? How do you structure it in a better way? How do you analyze it quicker Mm -hmm. so you get insights quicker? Because the information two hours later is worth nothing to me, but that information 10 seconds after it was created is very important to me. So how do you do all of this? Uh, then uh, uh, it brings, uh, brings an advantage because, you know, to wrap up, as I said, you can have the best car, best drivers, best everything else. If your strategy is very poor, you're not going to win races. Yeah. Yeah. So it all comes together and the common denominator is that everything is based on data.
1: So Sanjay, br- bring that to life. Give us an example of, because what, what Silvan is describing yeah. there is, is quite kind of high level concept stuff.
3: Yeah, well, listen, I mean, I think the, the, the key thing to take away from what Silvan just said is that, and we're seeing this in enterprises and corporations across the world, data is emerging as its own asset class. It's 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 not a byproduct of automation, it's not a collateral that comes by, it's not something you just need to keep around in case you might need it. It's its own asset class and that's super important. I'll bring that to life with two or three examples, one I think we can all personally relate to. Years ago I used to drive around, and I'm sure you did as well, with a GPS locator. You'd know on the map where you were at any point in time. It was a great thing to have because you knew where you were and then you could compute in your head where you needed to go. Today I drive with an iPhone, and it tells me it takes, it's going to take me exactly how much time for me to get from here to there, and it's going to and it'll tell me if there's a traffic jam on the road, which other route to take. And we think about it, and you take a step back. The difference in those two worlds—it's not the automation because satellites were always around. The GPS, uh, the fundamentals of GPS technology always existed. Visualization's gotten a little better, screens a little more compact, but fundamentally you had that. The thing that has changed is the data, because the data that allows you to machine learn what on Tuesday afternoon at 4 p.m. from this place to that place looks like is the data that tells you what the other cars are driving at and how do you use that to then figure out where, you, where you're going to be and which roads are clear and which roads are not. And so the data is what's made that difference. And you and I can just feel it because you just think about driving 10 years ago with a GPS locator and think about now we can actually predict exactly what time you're going to arrive um, at the office. That's a simple example in personal lives. But you expend, extend that into the business world. You think about supply chain and all the issues we're having around the world today. Uh, with supply chain and it's about knowing where every single skew is and where every piece of the raw material that's required to make that skew and where it's located where it's sitting and then predicting and forecasting how you get it all together mm. you get that right you shave a few points off of inflation you get that wrong you've got a worsening problem on the on the table and that's a great business example um, that comes to mind I'll give you one more business example and I'll turn back to you um, you know I've always thought about e-commerce and it's such an amazing Uh, progress we've had on that front. And then we're all used to waking up on a Monday morning and, you know, you go to your favorite e-commerce site and you open up the page and the first thing it does is, here's a few things, you know, we recommend you to look at. And, you know, kind of look through a few of them and maybe a couple make sense and a couple don't. That's the best we're at today. But as data comes through and AI technology gets better, that is going to improve and that prediction accuracy of that recommendation engine will get better. It's going to get to a point where one day it will predict nine things out of ten that you will want to buy. And when that day comes... You know, what the what will happen? The business model will change. And those companies will actually just ship out a package to you. Yeah. You open the door Monday morning to go get your papers, a package lying on the doorstep. You bring it in, you open it up, 10 things in it. Nine of them you were going to buy later that week anyway. So you just take it in. One thing you didn't want to buy, you put it back in the box, you put it on the doorstep, someone comes and picks it up. It's a completely new business model, and it's happening because data is driving the insights to make that decision.
1: We know data is incredibly powerful. Um, you're working with a team here, you know, the, the greenest car on the greenest grid. Um, the future of the planet is obviously something that everyone is conscious of right now and is at the heart of the kind of the mission behind Formula E. Only 22% of CIOs out there are actually thinking about reducing their carbon footprint of their technology themselves. It's a, it's a, a shockingly low proportion of digital leaders. As someone who works in a solutions business and has this much insight around data, how can you try and help them understand the impact of data itself and the impact, of it, I suppose, on, on the environment?
3: Yeah, it's a great question. I think, look, I think I just simplified this into a one, two, three for you, right? I think step number one for us is getting an awareness out. And I think the work we do with Envision Racing is really just that, because it shows you the alternative. It shows you that this thing's affordable, that it's accessible, that you and I can drive it, that it has different implications for the earth we live in. And that awareness and getting that out in a pervasive fashion is really important for us. So that's step one. Step two, which is also the work we do together, is actually about building the baseline, understanding what we're doing today. We, most companies, will not have a sense of exactly what their carbon footprint is. It's just very difficult to get. data sitting in different places, they're unstructured, it's not reliable, it's in a different form, it's not homogenized. And so if you walked up to a CIO and say, what is your carbon footprint today? You don't get an answer right away. It takes a lot of effort to put that together. The techniques that we're learning together and actually unraveling that mystery on how to do data management, data engineering, harmonization, normalization, and bringing it all together in one place is super important. So that's step two. And really step three is actually a little bit broader because once you have the data in place, you have to set the goals and standards for yourself. And then you have to, you can't declare it at a corporation level and say, well, this is what we're gonna do, and then walk away and assume it's gonna get done. You have to translate it into small nudges, into small little iterative things that people will do. And that doesn't come from a high-level top-down statement. That comes from being reminded and nudged at the right point, at the right place for the decision you're making. You know, you have to go from here to there. Here are the three trade-offs you have, uh, three options you have, and here's a trade-off in carbon as you look and evaluate those three options. Yeah. You can't set that up at the start of the year. You have to deliver that information at the right point for the individual that's going to make the decision. And so how do you instrument this change management? How do you use technology, insights, analytics to actually drive change at a fundamental human level and deliver it in an experience that people can actually absorb at the right time? If you go through that, step one, two, three, I think it's a great starting point for anyone that's um, getting on this journey.
1: Here comes the stupid question from someone who doesn't know what they're talking about. But why EV? Why not hydrogen? Because that's the conversation all my friends are having right now. You know yeah. oh, electric cars aren't the future. It's going to be hydrogen. this is you know this is a thing that's a fad now. it'll be gone in ten years. You said something downstairs that I can't recall right now that made me go, "Oh, hang on a minute
0: yeah, so look I've been asked this question for more than a decade now, and ultimately, there's no bias. it comes down to what is the best technology for the problem we're trying to solve so really mobility it's about two things really it's about first, minimizing the amount of energy you use per mile traveled, right and then. And then ideally you want that energy in the first place to be as clean as possible. So you want the whole chain from, from energy creation to your wheel to be as clean as possible. So you have, you know, internal combustion cars, petrol, you have hydrogen, you can do two things. Either you can burn the hydrogen into an engine or you can go through a fuel cell and your hydrogen is basically an energy storage for your electric motor. Or you can go battery electric car when you remove all of that. And what's become quite clear over the last few years is that if you compare all these technologies there's a very clear winner in terms of overall efficiency and that's the battery electric vehicle and that's just physics you can't really beat it so a a well-designed battery electric vehicles battery electric car with tech tech coming from formerly high voltage high power density all the stuff for developing that's going to road cars will achieve a system efficiency of the whole car of let's say 80 to 90 percent so your car, the hundred, you're putting 100 units of energy into that car, doesn't matter what energy, 90% of it will go to the wheel and make you move. An internal combustion engine, even a really good one, and they're not all very good, you're at like 30, 35%. So when you're filling your tank full of fuel, two-thirds more than two-thirds of it, it goes away. is wasted through friction and heat. That's not great, is it? And hydrogen is somewhere in the middle. So hydrogen... Uh, Uh, The overall efficiency of the car is not as good as battery electric cars, it's a lot more complex. uh, Because you have to make the hydrogen in the first place, you have to store it at very high pressure. So you also need a really big car, we don't really know how to to make a small hydrogen car yet. And then just the cycle of going from making hydrogen, storing it at high pressure, through a network of stations that don't really exist, and then the process even just of taking that energy, go through your fuel cell to create electricity that then goes to your motor, I don't know the exact numbers, it depends on the technology, it's changing a lot, but it's just nowhere near as efficient as a battery electric car. So that's the main reason. And then the second aspect is that you have to look at the vehicle in its ecosystem. And the battery electric cars, and to be fair, a lot of people don't know that yet, and that, that's fair, it's up to us to explain. The natural question is people say, oh, if you have millions of electric cars on the road, the grid's going to collapse, we can't make enough energy. That's actually the other way around. If you speak to all the grid experts, all the grids are being decarbonized, and you are using less and less coal and nuclear, and you go with renewables. Renewables energy, renewable energy, you have to store it. Some of it you can use straight away, but some of it you store. Um, and you have two ways of doing it. You store it through dedicated uh, kind of battery packs for the grid, but also we will be using the millions of electric cars on the road, connected to their chargers for most of the day and the night, as energy storage. So the you have millions of kilowatt hours of storage for free, pretty much that exists out there that the grid will be using, and that will actually enable the faster adoption of renewable energy. And so, when you look at this bigger picture, it becomes an absolute no-brainer. Electric yeah. cars actually become the enabler to take our grids to 90% plus renewable energy, and that's where we win together.
1: We're out of time, so I've got one last question, and it's a very quick one. I spent some time last week with someone who's been on this show, who has been in F1 for 20 odd years. He's just left. And he turned around to me and said, you know what, David, if you gush about Formula E and you say it's the future, we are, we are done. <laughs> Where's this? Where uh, a guy, uh, Graham Hackland, he was the former CIO of uh, Williams F1. Okay. Look, he was, he was very complimentary about Formula E and obviously yeah. he, was, he was teasing me to a degree. Yeah. But... If you're into motorsports, there's obviously room for for numerous different championships and people to be enthusiastic about a lot of them. But your mission, what Genpact are doing with Envision Racing is only gonna get out to a broader audience if more people do tune in and take it to their hearts. So give me a reason why why people should be interested in the races, start watching it on Channel 4, maybe go to a race or...
0: It's hard for the product, like at the end of the day, the racing has to be good. And what formerly we have done pretty well, and it's credit to the promoter and the governing body, is that the racing is just really exciting. So even if you don't care at all about the cars or electric or data or anything like that, the, it's just 45 minutes to an hour of really, really fun racing. If you mm-hmm. like racing, pretty much you'll race. You're watching Formula 1 anyway. But then, of course, there's the bigger picture. Like a lot of the, we are doing a lot of, uh, again, um, um, uh, fan and audience analysis with Genpact. And actually we find that a, a, a very uh, majority of our fans are interested beyond the racing. They really care about the planet. They really care about understanding more about electric cars. They really care about the, the bigger picture around around mobility. And that's a bonus. That doesn't mean F1 is not great. F1 is great. And me, when we again, you could argue it's our fault for calling it, Formula But the the main um, idea is that Formula coexists alongside Formula 1. Mm. Formula 1 is an exceptional entertainment platform, giant business, for fantastic sport, really. But Formula is there to do something very different, to, to come up with a a new new technology, and race in a different way. We race in city centers. Uh, We do a lot of things differently. Um, And the two coexist. After that, in 20 years' time, that's the big question, right? In 20 years' time, when all the cars are electric anyway, then is Formula One like horse racing, you know? Maybe.
3: But I like what you said, Sylvan, because I think one is um, a great entertainment platform, by the way. But, you know, with Formula E, we've got an entertainment platform and a change platform for the world. And so it's for the greater good. And that's what inspires us.
1: Well, look, I've really better than me. Well. <laughs> I've really enjoyed talking to both of you. Uh, thanks for your time, and I know you've got to get off to another race weekend. So good luck. Thank you so much. Thank you. Um, are you in, are you into motorsports?
2: I'm not. No. No, oh, not the best, in, I tell you, what, if Akish was on here, he probably would love this. But
1: um, oh, well, no, I'm,
2: I'm not. I mean, I my family are. Um, yeah. and My family are massively into like um, motorbike motorbike racing as well. So that you like your
1: cars though, don't you?
2: Not, no, not not massively.
1: Oh, dear. I, I, mean, I mean, I'm in the same boat as you. I'm like, does it go? Is it yeah, safe?
2: I'm a very much like if it gets me from A to B, that's kind of good enough for me, to be honest.
1: <laughs> All right, so here we can go with an angle because, of course, I the big think. question about EV cars is can they effectively get you from A to B? Um, and listening to Sylvan at the end, I mean, I don't know about you, but I have had that conversation with friends around the whole... Oh, what's the future of, of vehicles if, if, if petrol's getting phased out? And obviously, with the cost of living crisis right now and petrol mm. costing so much, Oh,
2: ridiculous. like, yeah.
1: should people get an EV car? Is hydrogen going to be the um, the future? And people kind of terming it like uh, VHS and Betamax all those years ago. Which which is going to be or, or Blu-ray and HD DVD? Mm. Which format is going to take off? Um, and it does feel like there's a lot of. I think there's a lot of people who who argue for hydrogen but maybe without really understanding the, the whole arguments
2: yeah I, I i'd be one of those people know, to be completely honest that i wouldn't really sort of understand the argument massively to have sort of a huge opinion on it to be, com- to be completely honest but i think like you said with the cost of living crisis people are obviously starting to look into these things more and i think a lot of people will i think they'll be put off by the initial kind of like big sort of payout and then obviously, but over time, I guess like it does become a better option, doesn't it? But I think it's just that initial payout of, it will sort of spook people or sort of put them off or might just be completely out of their budget. But um, I guess, like, yeah, over time, obviously when you're paying so much for petrol at the moment, it's definitely something that's, I think, becoming more of like a conversation or people are getting more and more sort of like interest in it.
1: Yeah. I think I think what Sylvan said was really interesting around the fact that you've, if you get more EV vehicles on the road, or sorry, electric vehicles, no, EV, EV vehicles, too many vehicles uh, on the road, then you're going to end up with more storage because those cars, whilst connected to the grid, can act as storage. And that can um, basically take grid's efficiency up to 90%. That's not something I'd ever really cons- considered. And he makes a really good point when people go, oh, well, you know, can, can the grid cope with that amount of electric cars on the road? Actually, more electric cars on the road makes it easier to cope
2: yeah do you know what there's so many things that you don't really think about do you like i say that would never have crossed my mind because i just think you obviously charge your car up and then you just imagine that you just go and then that's just kind of it it. yeah yeah and then you just charge it up again and then again obviously vice versa and just continues that way so you don't don't think
1: about it being kind of symbiotic and, and and hooked into the grid
2: yeah that's what i mean like these things until we obviously sort of spoke about it and i was listening to the pod i was kind of like oh right well that's something that would just I don't know. I'm sure like the everyday person who obviously doesn't own one of these cars would just not even know that that's like a thing.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And and when he, you know, when we're talking about that kind of cost of living crisis, when he goes on to talk about the fact that, um, you know, when you put fuel in your car, only 30% of that gets to the wheel and the amount of wastage through friction and heat versus 90% getting to the wheel on an electric car. I had no idea about that yeah. kind of difference.
2: Like you say. And I think. At the moment, that's something that, yeah, well, i obviously touched upon it a minute ago, but obviously petrol going up so much. I yeah. didn't realize it was such a, a staggering difference as well. Like, that's not even, they're not even close to those kind of numbers. No, really. Like that's a huge, huge difference. So, you could get so much more for your money. You can get so much more mileage out of it. Whereas, obviously, in this one, it's, well, with petrol, like you say, it's, it's can kind of just get drinked oh. up. Um, and yeah, you just don't go as far at all, do you?
1: What do you think about the data science angle?
2: Um, I again I wouldn't have expected it to make that much of a difference. And this sounds really, really naive, and this is from someone who doesn't is not into cars and I guess doesn't know a great deal, obviously by the sounds of things on data science either. But I wouldn't have imagined it would have obviously linked in and then made such an impact. You'd see yeah. them as like very two very kind of separate things almost, wouldn't you? Like yeah. for them to kind of come together. I think that's really well, it's quite innovative. But like say you I see them as two sort of polar opposites, so you wouldn't have thought that they would have been put together and then actually been yeah making such a difference to the fact that they have been put together
1: i mean the, the fact that they described that you know formula one for the example you know has two and a half days three days at a track versus formula e that's just there for one day you know qualify uh, practice qualifying rather in the race all in a day and that they get two half an hour practice sessions therefore data and any data that they can glean from the track is so crucial to race strategy and making tweaks in terms of making the car competitive. I mean, you could it would be such an amazing, exciting experience for a data scientist to work in, to have that very tangible, here we go, we're getting the data, here's the analytics, and seeing the results. You know, across 14 races, it's going to be 18 races next year, seeing the fruits of their labor out there on telly in, in reality, working or not working.
2: Yeah, well, that's the exciting thing, isn't it? I guess that's technology. Technology is like as a, a whole, really, is um, like you say. You can actually see like the impact that it's having, especially with mm. this. Like, obviously, they they got access to all those insights. Obviously, they know that the car and the performance is better because of obviously what they've done and the product and, and everything that they're sort of they're using. So, yeah, I don't know. When you put it like that, it's quite. Um, sort of remarkable isn't it really like you wouldn't think that that would be making such a massive massive difference to their their performance
1: and i don't necessarily think that formula e is the be all and end all future of motorsports because i think you'll always in the motorsports category kind of have people who yearn for that sound and that noise and Mm -hmm. and that traditional kind of buzz of it and you know formula one is a very exciting product um But I can see how teams like McLaren and Mercedes entering Formula E, Mercedes this year, McLaren next year, all that money getting plowed in. Um, Teams like Envision setting themselves out to be the greenest grid, sorry, the greenest team on the greenest grid, is leading to leaps forward Mm -hmm. in electric vehicle technology. And that will translate down quicker as a consequence of this championship to everyday car users like me and you um, making journeys and worrying about how much it's costing.
2: Yeah. Like I so say, even sort of those tiny, small sort of changes, if everybody makes some small changes, you know, eventually it starts to make some sort of difference, doesn't it? Yeah. I guess with something like that, though, like you said, I think so many people are kind of like bought into the sort of the traditional way of, of racing. So to move away from that completely, I think we'll just, will we'll obviously take time. And like, say some people will just prefer how it's obviously done at the minute, but, um, yeah i mean it's all sort of going
1: in the right direction i guess isn't it yeah absolutely absolutely it's it's intriguing and i think it'll Mm -hmm. be very exciting to see how it develops the the third generation of car is out next year um when i was there they were talking um about that i think it's something like 850 or 900 horse horse brake power whatever for the new cars they're faster than f1 cars and lighter and quicker so F1's an amazing product and will be here to stay, but Formula E does offer an exciting alternative, I suppose, for racing yes. fran- fans, and they can all kind of coexist and and be different things for different people. Um, but yeah, at the time of recording, uh, where are we? So we're recording on Friday, as we said, New-, New York coming up this weekend, but by the time this goes out, that'll be last weekend. So good luck to the Envision Racing team, good luck to Nick Cassidy, who I spoke to for about 20 minutes um It was hilarious, Amber. It was. He was stood next to me, a guy who drives this car for a profession, obviously very well. Mm. Next to a simulator, he's like, "Oh, do you want to go?" I'm like, no, not
2: so much. <laughs> not, so much. And also, not,
1: not whilst the professional racing driver sat still. Oh there. yeah, I
2: was going to say. And also, as someone who doesn't really appreciate cars, Dave. I imagine that lots of people would have absolutely been dying to be sat in that seat, and you were just like, Ugh, probably no. Probably
1: right. not. I can do without embarrassing myself. I'm all right. Thanks. No. i had to drive around the m25 to get here that's enough
2: <laughs> yeah. yeah no that's like i so said that that'd probably be enough for me as well sitting on the m25 and then i think you know what i've done my bit of driving for today
1: exactly exactly well look um everyone uh, if you're listening to this it's probably in the if you're in the uk it's probably during an extreme heat wave so yeah. fingers crossed you're managing to keep cool uh we'll be back next week